pray together. Father, that is our prayer. That's why we exist. It's why you called a group of believers to plant a brand new church into the, one of the most neglected and needy parts of our community. Lord, thank you for the last year, really over a year, since you've given us opportunities to minister to the poor and the needy, to provide food, to provide Christmas gifts, to provide cool school supplies. Lord, it's what you've called us to do in your word. So I thank you for the honor and the privilege to get to be a part of a group of people like this who love you and who want to follow you into the homes of the needy. Now, Lord Jesus, I pray you'll take your word, your Holy Spirit, and supernaturally apply your truth to our hearts that we may be transformed as we go out into this community for your glory. And in your name we pray, amen and amen. You can be seated. And I mentioned how earlier how we discovered during COVID just how much we need our church family, just how much we need each other when we didn't know what to believe. All we knew to do, we were dealing with something that had never happened in the world, and we were told to stay home, and so that's what we did, and we had church at home. And really since that time, church attendance has been declining. We've never really bounced back from COVID. Again, and I say as pastors, I kind of say we got to take the blame for that because we would say online, thank you for worshiping with us online. So re reinforced inadvertently in the minds of people, you don't have to come to church. You can sit home and watch online. And I thank God for online. I pray that one day we'll be able to be in a building and we'll have better internet than we have here that we can be live so that somebody is at home sick, they can watch. Or if we're on vacation, when I'm at home sick, I have to watch our church in middle Georgia. I'd rather watch this church. I'd rather be a part of this church. So pray that God gives us a building, pray that God gives us internet service, that one day we can make that happen, but that's not a substitute. Even when I'm gone and I watch online, I can't wait to get back and be a part of my church family. I did read in our state newspaper, the Christian Index, it's the oldest uh, state newspaper in the United States, is the Christian Index, that finally in the state of Georgia, we have bounced back. Our baptisms are up in Georgia. That's good news. Not near what they ought to be, but they're bounced up from COVID for the first time, Brother Thomas and our executive director tells us churches fall apart churches close and we're looking for a building we looked at a church that no longer meets that's a sad thing but you know if a new church can come in and take over and an old church that no longer meets why do they no longer meet could be a lot of reasons for that many times people get so caught up in personal preferences I want my way and you want your way so I'm just going to hit the highway and you have church splits and people leave and you know, I read recently, and it just shocked me. I read it over and over again because it was hard for me to believe that of recent seminary graduates who studied to be pastors within the first five years, over 80% are out of the ministry. Think about that. These are men who feel called of God. Their churches have affirmed them to go off to seminary because if you go to seminary, your church has to affirm you and send you. Within the first five years of ministry, they're no longer in ministry. That's a sad thing. I just had another dear friend this week just forced out of a church, you know, but, but, I, frankly, because he told the truth is why. Stuff like that happens every single week. And then we wonder. We wonder why when we invite lost people to come to church, they're not interested because they see how so-called Christians can act sometimes. They're not interested. We want to show them biblical Christianity. We want to show them a church that loves God supremely and loves each other. People say, well, you know, I love God, but I don't love the church. That's kind of like going up and saying, hey, Brad, I like you, but I can't stand your wife. You punch me out for saying that. The, and I would never say that about Adele, by the way. Of course I would never say that about Adele. 
But when you say, I love God, but I don't love the church, you're saying, I love God, but I don't love his bride. You can't do that. You can't, if you love God, you're going to love his word. And his word in Hebrews 10, we're going to look at, tells us what to be a, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. Did you know that you can love the church, but not love God? People can love the church, and they can be like a family social club or a clique. They can love that, but not truly love God. Because Jesus said, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. But here's the flip side of that quarter. You can't truly love the Lord without loving his church for whom he died. He gave his life for the church. He's coming back for his church. You can't, you can't do both. The dictionary defines the word renew as to begin again or to become like new again. We're going through this little sermon series that we're calling Renew. We'll take a break next week for our anniversary. But renewing. We looked at renewing our, our hope from Psalm 23. We looked at renewing our strength. We looked at renewing uh, the vision last week for this specific church. But today... I want us to look at renewing our love for the church, for the Lord's church, not just our own church, but the local New Testament church. We're asking God to renew that. Have you ever had somebody say, well, I love God. I just don't like organized religion. You know, one of my spiritual gifts is sarcasm, and I have to keep that in check. It's not really a spiritual gift, but it's a curse. I can be sarcastic when I say, so you like disorganized religion if you don't like organized religion. What does that mean when folks say, I don't like organized religion? They love disorganized. We just read this again, Hebrews 10, verses 23 through 25. If you're physically able to stand, let's stand to give honor to the reading of God's Word. Let us hold tightly without wavering. Without, this is the, the New Living Translation. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm. We affirm our hope in Jesus. For God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. Your Bible may say to, to provoke one another to love and good works. And let us not neglect meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. You can be seated. So God has a plan for every believer. God has a plan for each and every one of our lives. And it is not the will of God for us to do that alone. There should never be any such thing as a lone ranger Christian. We were created for community. You know, we have five biblical purposes that we take from the Great Commission and the Greatest Commandment. And one of those is fellowship. You know, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and love our neighbor as ourselves. It's important that we come together and fellowship as the body of Christ. But less than 25% of Southern Baptists, that's us, by the way. We don't have it in our, we don't say Baptist in our name because we don't want anything to be a, a um, barrier to somebody coming to faith in Jesus. People get hung up on labels these days. But we're unashamed we are Baptists. We're unashamed of that. We're Georgia Baptists. We're Southern Baptists. We're part of the Chattahoochee Association. Less than 25% of people who have identified in a Southern Baptist church go to church anywhere on any given Sunday. They profess the Lord. They've given evidence of salvation. They've been baptized. They've joined a church in less than 25%. In the state of Georgia, not just Baptists, but all people in the state of Georgia, 85% are not in church anywhere on any given Sunday. You know what that tells me? The fields are ripe unto harvest. They're looking for a church that will be real. They're looking for a church that will preach the truth in love and love them enough and hold them accountable to be family to them. You know, it's coming up on ball season. A friend of mine had to take his little boy to ball tryouts the other day. And I remember for our son going to baseball tryouts, it would be, you know, 30 degrees, freezing cold. His hands could hardly hold the bat. What if your kid played, or let's say varsity sports, but you said, hey, coach, I'm going to only get my boy here 25% of the time. Do you think they'd ever let him play? 
if he can only come. No, they wouldn't, they wouldn't even let him play if he did that. If, if you're a student and you're in class, you're a UN, UNG student, if you only went to class 25% of the time, what would that do to your GPA and your degree? Probably wouldn't make it through, right? That's it. Men, if you are only faithful to your bride 25% of the time, you might wind up with bullet holes in you somewhere, right? No, if none of those are, and by the way, the ball team, the school, and our spouse did not die for us. She's not leaving because I said that. <laughs> She's going to nursery, okay? She, has to, it was, I, she got it right when I said that. That's not why she's leaving. Oh, that's, that's funny. But if the ball team, my spouse, my job, my school, none of those died for me. Jesus doesn't say he's coming back. He's coming back for his church. So I ought to be fully committed to the church. And let me say this. You know, if you are sick, stay home. You know, we're not trying to put false guilt on people. Everybody goes on vacation. Sometimes we miss, you know. But Julie and I, we like to visit other churches on vacation. We try to learn from other churches and say, what are they doing that we could do and help us do better? But if you're sick, particularly post-COVID, we're all a little bit paranoid now. If you're sick, stay home. We'll pray for you. Let us know and we'll pray for you. By the way, Pray for Graylin and Linda Sanders. They were here last week. Their little grandson, Jesse David. Isn't that a good biblical name? Jesse David was born last Monday at 37 weeks. He was preemie, but everything appeared okay. They sent him home Wednesday, went back in the hospital Friday night. Graylin called me last night. and They're running some tests and checking on some things. And, of course, they're, they're upset, as anybody would be. And this is their first grandchild. We have one grandchild. And I said, Graylin, you're learning something that I learned. There's no greater hurt in the whole world than when our kids hurt. But when it's your grandkids, you hurt for that grandchild and you hurt for your child both. So pray for Graylin and Linda and little Jesse David. I hope we get some good news on him today. So we say if you're sick, stay home. But why do we neglect that for which Jesus died? That's the church. When I was a little boy, I liked to watch the Lone Ranger. Y'all, Anybody remember the Lone Ranger and watch the Lone Ranger? What would happen with that? There'd be a crisis, and the Lone Ranger would come in town just at the right time. He'd solve the crisis, and he'd get on his horse and say, Hi-o, silver away, and he was gone. He was just there for a little while. Sadly, and before I say this, I'm not making fun. Okay, Don't hear what I'm not. I had a pastor who used to make fun of people, you know. On Easter Sunday when people would come, you got more guests than ever. And he'd make fun of them and call them Easter lilies. We are not. I'm glad people come for any time, any place. But it's sad sometimes if we treat church like we're the Lone Ranger. We come in for a funeral or a special occasion and we just roll out. No, we're we're missing out on the fellowship of the family of God. So believers in Jesus, the Bible says, I don't have time to preach all of these, but these are biblical phrases. We're put together. We're joined together. We're built up together. We're members together. We're joint heirs together. We're held together. And one day, y'all, we're going to be caught up together when the rapture comes. Christianity assumes that we do life together. We're a few minutes late getting here this morning. I found out a dear friend of ours in another state. I have to be generic now because all the family doesn't know. Passed away in her sleep last night. And I was talking with her daughter and her sister. And um, for years, she's been out of church. And I said, please tell me y'all are going to do a funeral or something. You know, she professed the Lord. I believe I baptized her and her daughter many years ago. But when you don't have a church family, when a crisis happens, who do you turn to? Who do you turn to? We need each other. When, when there's a, a death and a funeral, we bring food. We come together. We encourage each other. Our relationship with God is personal, but it was never meant to be private. 
Let me say that one more time. Our relationship with God is personal, but it's never meant to be private. I've had people say, you know, I love God. I'm just private about my faith. I'm just private, or maybe I'm unemotional about my faith. It's funny when you see the same people at a Georgia Bulldogs game. Who can, you can't put dynamite under them on a Sunday morning, but they'll paint half their face red, half their face black, and bark like a dog at a stadium and holler and carry on. And I'm one of those, okay? I'm one of those who do that unashamedly. But to say I'm just private about my faith, but I'll act like a child at a Bulldogs game, I'm pointing at me when I say that, okay? Because we're all in when it comes to sports. A lot of y'all get together and watch ball games. My family doesn't do that. My family, we don't go to other people's house. You think I'm a jerk. We don't do that. You know why? Because people talk during ball games. And me and my wife, we're focused. We don't want a fellowship. We want to watch a ball game, right? So if I go to your house, I'm going to be ugly and rude. So we do that alone. But if we're vocal and public about our love for our sports teams or whatever it is we're passionate about, how can we say I'm just private about my faith in God? That's illogical. We're connected together. We belong together for His purposes. Romans 12 and verse 4 says, Just as our bodies have many parts and each part has a special function, so it is with Christ's body. We're many parts of one body and we all belong to each other. You know, some of us are good at certain things. You know, I've said before, I come in on Sunday morning and I'll do grunt work. I'll put up chairs. I'll pull tables and all that stuff. But when it comes to all this sound stuff, I get out of Davey's way because I'm just going to be in his way and aggravate him. I do not have any aptitude for that. If I pull out a toolbox to fix something, my wife will start fasting and praying because I'm going to tear something up and I'm going to make it worse if I try to fix it. So you got to know what your place is. You know, just like... You know, you may say, well, the ear's not very important. Well, if I lost my hearing in this ear, I'd say it really is important. Or, or a foot. You say, well, just one foot. I can get by hopping on one. No, it's important. It's the same way in the body of Christ. We need all of our gifts and abilities to come together. So we're asking God to renew our love for the church. That was a long introduction. Number one, I'm going to give you five eyes. Let me think when I was a little boy in school and somebody had glasses, the people were mean, they'd call them four eyes. I didn't then, but I certainly do now. But I'm going to give you five eyes today, so four and a bonus. Number one, God wants us to identify with his family. That's the first eye. God wants us to identify with his family. And John 13, verse 35, says your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. It's our love for each other in the family of God and in the church will prove to the people outside these walls there's something different about us. When we come together and we love everybody regardless of where we come from, what kind of accent we have, what color of skin we have, you know, our countries, our social class, any of that stuff, it's the family of God all coming together. Our vision for this church from day one was to be multicultural and multi-ethnic and multi-generational. Why? Because that's what heaven's going to be like. Amen? That's what heaven's going to be like. Lost people, by the way, expect us to be in church. People that don't know the Lord, they expect Christians to be in church. So if I'm not faithful to church and my neighbors see that, they think, well, it's not that big a deal. If Mike don't think he has to go, that's my testimony, in fact. It's how I came to know the Lord. My papa, who was my hero, was dying. My great-grandmother was dying. My parents had divorced. I'm a freshman in high school, which is hard enough in itself being a freshman in high school. My world was falling apart. And I was looking for peace and hope. And I saw kids in my school that had it. I didn't know what it was they had, but I knew I wanted that. If they had told me it was liquor, I would have drank it. If they had told me it was a cigarette, I would have smoked it. But as I watched them, what they had in common was they all went to the same church. 
So they hadn't invited me yet. They don't know I'm watching them. They didn't invite me to church. I'm just watching. And I figure out the common denominator. So I'm not as dumb as I look. I started to go to that church. And I started to see those people love each other. And all the young people sat down front in the first three or four pews. When I went to church, young people sat in the back and played games and tried to stay awake in church. But these were right down front. When the invitation was given, all the young people went to the altar and they prayed. And I saw these people have something I don't have. They've not shared the gospel with me yet. Now, I didn't get saved just by watching them. But when I watched them, they were salt and light. The light, the Bible says we're to be salt and light. The light in them was exposing the darkness in me. The salt in them was making me thirsty. I wanted what they had. And then I heard the gospel. And I responded and I gave my life to Christ. And their church became my church. And the pastor's wife of that church is the one I just preached her funeral last week at almost 93 years old. So God wants us to be um, in, in, in part of, to identify with his family. Number two, God wants us to be involved in the body of Christ. Not just to identify, but to be involved in the body of Christ. We said earlier, the church is the body of Christ made up of different members and parts. In 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honored, all the parts are glad. When I get that phone call from Grayland, I immediately hear in his voice something's wrong. I hear that he's upset as soon as he starts talking. You know, as a dad and a granddad, my heart hurt. But even if I wasn't a dad and a granddad, I'm a Christian. My brother is hurting, so my heart went out to Grayland and to Linda. And I know you all feel the same way. We pray for them. We love them. We encourage them. It's important that we get apart. Now, we are a small church, right? When I was a youth pastor, I taught Sunday school classes bigger than our church. When I was a youth pastor, I would have 200 on a Wednesday night teenager. So we're different. We can get to know each other. But even within our church, it's important to identify in a, in a small group. Uh, beginning the first Thursday in um, March... We're spread out from Gwinnett County to Banks County and White County. The first Thursday in March, we're going to start a men's group. You said, well, we can't come from all around. We're going to be by, by Zoom. I never heard of Zoom until COVID. It's one of the positive things come out of COVID. So we'll meet via Zoom. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to go anywhere. And we're going to go through a book called Disciplines of a Godly Man, other than the Bible, the greatest book I've ever read. We'll do that as men at 6 o'clock in the morning for 45 minutes. We'll disciple and encourage each other. We'll pray together and then get to work or wherever you have have to go. I hope many of you men can join us. You can order that book on Amazon. It's by Dr. Kent Hughes, Disciplines of a Godly Man. Because we want to do life together. Next Saturday, our ladies will be here from, remind me, Katrina, one to four? Two to four, here for a, a ladies' fellowship. And it's going to revolve around chocolate is kind of the thing. So you bring your favorite chocolate. They're going to love on each other and pray for each other. And I said, by the way, you know, men, we ain't invited, okay? We can't come, but we can pray for leftover chocolate that we can have the next day for our first birthday party right here. Amen? Tonight I'm, going to, I'm speaking at First Baptist Tekoa. If anybody's free tonight and wants to go to Tekoa at a men's event there at Tekoa, no ladies involved in that one. So sometimes ladies need to talk about lady stuff from a faith perspective. Men need to talk about men's stuff from a faith perspective. And as we grow as a church, and when God gives us a building, praise God, we'll have Sunday school, life groups, and be able to do things that we can't do now. When I pastored larger churches, I would say, if you can't give me but one hour a week, go to Sunday school instead of church. Because Sunday school, small groups are life on life. But again, their Sunday school class is bigger than our church, so we're able to do life on life here. Uh, so all different ways to get involved. Only by meeting regularly with imperfect people can we learn what real fellowship is. We talked about this Wednesday night in our class. You go to some churches and you just feel like a dog. or a, You think, these people are perfect. They put on the perfect smile. They got the perfect hair. They never do anything wrong. They never have struggles. And we think, well, I don't belong here. 
Let me, if you're looking for a perfect church, we are not it, okay? We are a bunch of messed up people. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So if you feel like you're messed up and you're broken, you've come to the right place. Because we all are, and we know the one who puts us back together again. Many Christians, most Christians know John 3.16. For God so loved the world. How much did he love the world? That he gave his only begotten son, the only one ever born of a virgin. That whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting, eternal life. How about 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16 says, We know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. So we also ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. Pastor Francis Chan says, Church is a picture of how God wants humans to live. Nobody should be a lone ranger Christian. We need each other. And biblical church membership, and by the way, I kind of shifted my sermon for today from what I had told Adele it was going to be. Because, you know, if you're going to join something, I don't know what you're joining, right? So our Constitution and bylaws requires a new member class. We had part one, had ten people in part one of that. So I decided to make today's message part two. I'm not covering everything that I would cover in that class. So I'll email you of the rest of the blanks in your book. If you're like me and you're kind of OCD, you got to fill in every blank. I'll, I'll send you what those blanks are. But this will count as part two, so we'll be able to present some new members today. But biblical church membership involves family responsibilities that each of us are expected to fulfill. If God all gave us all different spiritual gifts and abilities, we're to use those with for ministry within the church and on mission outside the church. Ephesians 4.16, he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And we're a bunch of messed up people, but he fits us together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Some of the most hateful people you will ever meet are loners. They don't like people. They don't want to be around people. They just live all by themselves, and they're happy to be that way. God didn't create us that way. God created us with a need for each other. In fact, in the Garden of Eden, right there in the very beginning, after he created Adam, he said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone. So he created for him a helper, and he called her woman. I like to say, because when Adam looked at her, he said, whoa, man. God knew what he was doing. He created her, right? He, he knew he needed a woman. God doesn't want us to be long ranger Christians. Real maturity shows up in relationships. That's when the relationships are tested and tried. That's when our spiritual maturity shows up. I had three roommates for a season when I was a, a student at the University of Georgia. We lived in a, in a um, what do you call it, a townhome duplex. Two of us in one room, two in the other. We couldn't have been any different. We could not have been any different. My roommate that I shared a room with, his name is David Shelley. David loves us. David prays for us. David supports Transformation Church. He may shoot me for saying that, but he does. Couldn't have been any different. David was one of the University of Georgia mascots that they retired. He wasn't the cool hairy dog. We called David Wimpy Dog. It was a few, I don't know if you're old enough. It was a mascot that was just kind of wimpy. That was my roommate, David. Our other little roommate, uh, Todd, was, um, how can I say this? He was challenged with height. He was height challenged, um, if that's a polite way to say it today. He was a radio DJ from Marietta, and he didn't hardly know a touchdown from a home run. He just didn't. Now he's learned. Todd's doing better today now that we're old men. There was another guy there named Mark. I couldn't have been any more polar opposite from Mark. You know, where the things I was good at in school, um, he wasn't. The things he, he probably would have fit in better at Georgia Tech if I'm telling the truth. We didn't have a lot in common, but we were great friends, and we still are. You know why? 
because of Jesus. Jesus was the bond that we shared. We went to church together. We served the Lord together. We were in each other's weddings. We did life together. Jesus transcends all those other barriers when you might not have things in common. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11 says, God has given each of you, that's all of us, a gift from a great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. One of our purposes of our church is to serve God by serving one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to him forever and ever. Amen. He's talking again about spiritual gifts. In our new member class from the first week, you kind of had some little homework to do a spiritual gift inventory online. You can go to churchgrowth.org. There's an inventory. It's not a test. You just answer questions. The right the right answer is the first thing that pops into your mind. It's helping you understand how God gifted you and wired you so that you can use your spiritual gifts for ministry in the church and on mission outside of the church. Spiritual gifts are the, the building blocks, the tool blocks of doing ministry. Ephesians 5.29 says, No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. That's why we love each other, because we got the same father. We say brother and sister around here, because we got the same father. How would your human body be affected if one of your parts stopped working? You know, the older I get, the more things, I have an ist. I say I have an ist. You name it, I got a specialist for it, okay? And things don't work like they used to. And it's irritating sometimes. But I'm just thankful for every birthday God gives me. But when, when what, you, you can say, I don't have but one problem. When my dad went to be with the Lord, his doctor looked at me and said, Jimmy, you are perfectly healthy. Everything about you is healthy except your heart. Your hearts just give out. He had a heart attack at 45. And from 45 to 71, my daddy lived a great life with half of a heart. The doctor said, you're perfectly healthy except your heart. Well, guess what? You don't live without a healthy heart. So God called my, my daddy home. When one part suffers, we all suffer. We all love each other as members of the body of Christ. We renew our love for his church. The first I was, it identifies us as believers. Number two, it involves us in the body. And number three, this is so important, God wants to insulate us from backsliding. We don't hear that term a lot in church these days, do we? God wants to insulate us from backsliding. When we're involved in a church, in a small group, there is accountability there. When it's just ladies, ladies can talk about things that would be inappropriate to talk about with men. Men can talk about things that would be inappropriate to talk about with ladies. And we hold each other accountable. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 1 says, So we must listen very carefully to the truth. What's the truth? The Word of God. So... So what makes us think we can escape if we ignore this great salvation that was first announced by the Lord Jesus Christ and then delivered to us by those who heard him speak? The end of verse 2 says, We have heard or we may drift away. The natural thing to do is just to drift away. I grew up in Cordell in South Georgia. We spent most weekends at Lake Blackshire. I could get on a raft and paddle out in Lake Blackshire and maybe fall asleep. It's not just because I'm old. I did that when I was young. I fell asleep quite easy, okay? I'd fall asleep on that raft, and you may wake up and find out you're way out halfway across Lake Blackshire when that happens. That's the way it is spiritually. If we're not focused on the Lord Jesus, if we don't fix our eyes on Jesus, the author of Hebrews says, the natural tendency is to drift. The church insulates us from backsliding. As a University of Georgia student, 
I knew I was saved at 15 years old, but by the time I graduated high school, I was living like an idiot. I was backslidden. The Holy Spirit was eating my lunch because if you're a child of God, you can't go down that road without the chastisement of God. And God got my attention at a church in Athens, Prince Avenue Baptist Church. And I came forward in that church and said, y'all don't know me. I'm from South Georgia. I know I'm saved, but I haven't been living like it, and I need this church to hold me accountable. And guess what? They did. That's the church where I met my wife, where we grew, where God called me to ministry. That's the pastor who performed our wedding. They didn't know me, but I was part of the family because I was a Christian. And it insulates from backsliding. Accountability does that. As I speak at this men's group in Tekoa tonight, one of the, I think he's a deacon in their church, Justin Rostein, was one of my teenage boys. Didn't have a dad. Didn't have a dad. So I'd pick him up and I'd take him to church on Sundays. And others would pick him up. And now we're so proud of him. He's a, he served our country in the military. He's a dad of three of his own. And he invited me to come. Another one of my former students who lives in Flowery Branch I'm taking with me. On Monday nights, those boys met with me. I met with high school boys for years. And we called it ABS, A-B-S, Accountability and Bible Study. We'd study a passage of Scripture. And we had ten questions that we answered eyeball to eyeball. Ten questions about our spiritual life. And I answered every one of them right with the boys. I answered them with them. And the last question on the list was, have you just lied to me? So if you're tempted to lie, you know, I, I can't even tell a joke without giving myself away. So I sure can't get away with lying. But why do we do that? We're trying to get in each other's business? No, it's accountability. We're trying to help each other stay on track because backsliding is drifting back to sin, ignoring the voice of truth in our life. Hebrews 3.13 says you must warn each other every day while it's still today so that none of you will be deceived by sin and hardened against God. Satan loves detached, away from the church, lone ranger Christians because you're a sitting duck. There's nobody there to help you. There's nobody to watch your back. There's nobody to hold you accountable. Spiritual, we need the spiritual protection of one another. And it's awkward for me as a pastor. I was a youth pastor a little bit easier, but as a lead pastor now, it's awkward but I'm commanded to preach the whole counsel of God, right? Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say, unless they tell you to violate Scripture, and I'm certain you don't. Their work is to watch over your souls, and they are accountable to God. If you are a part of this church, I am accountable to God for the way I watch over your soul. Do you have any idea how humbling that is? Any idea what a, what a strong, stern warning from God that is for me as your lead shepherd? But then it goes on to give a warning to the church members too. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. King James says that would be unprofitable for you. I know people who think they're trying to make the pastor's life miserable, but if they read their Bible, it says, hey, that's not going to work out good for you, buddy. That's going to be unprofitable for you. So it, being a part of a church insulates us from backsliding. Number four, God wants us to invest in his work. I talked about this a little bit earlier. God wants us to invest in his work. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi. I heard a, a guy said he, he was a brand-new Christian. He was called on to preach his first sermon and he said, I'm preaching from the Italian prophet Malachi tonight. Malachi chapter 3. He's a famous preacher today who said that, Ike Reichert. I don't know if, it was, if he really did that or if that's just a joke, but Ike claims it's true. Should people cheat God? God says, yeah, you've cheated me. Your translation may say robbed me, but you ask, what do you mean? When do we ever cheat you? God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. Tithes and offerings are two different things. The tithe... It's something I don't have to pray about. God's been very specific. God, the minimum of the first 10% of my income belongs to God. And it's amazing. When I do that, what I can do with the 90%. 
But if I hold on to some of that 10%, the rest of it's never going to honor God. And then offerings are anything I do extra. Offerings is putting our change in the bucket over there to help buy school supplies for our back-to-school event. An offering's when I give to our building fund. So that we're asking God to give us 100 k to lead the way. When we have a building, we're asking God for $100,000 in that account. That's an offering above and beyond my tithe. My tithe pays the electricity bill. My tithe pays for things here and invest in missions and ministry around the world. God says, you've cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You're under a curse for your whole nation's been cheating me. Could this be why America's under what appears to be such a curse? I'm of the opinion, like some other preachers, I think COVID was the judgment of God. God was trying to get our attention before the rapture one more time. And I'm afraid collectively as a nation, we we blew that wake-up call. God says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. There'll be enough food in my temple. And if you do, says the Lord of heaven's armies, I'll open the windows of heaven. I'll pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it. Put me to the test. Y'all know I work part-time. I work part-time for Nabisco Monday and Friday. It was Monday, Wednesday, Friday. With the things going on right now in our church, I needed to cut back. So I only work Monday and Friday right now. But I'm still going to tithe. I could say, you know what? I'm devoting all this time to the church, and the church can't pay me full-time. So that's part of my tithe. Mm -mm. Been there, done that, and God's never going to bless that. I'm going to give my 10% no matter what and trust God with the 90%. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 puts it this way. Remember this, a farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your heart how much to give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. I never want to pressure anybody to give. My job is to teach you what the Word of God says. And that's between you and the Lord at that point. For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. If you go to the original Greek language there, that it means hilariously. The time of offering is a time to do something cheerfully. It blesses me that God blesses me with an income so I can invest in something that's going to outlive Mike Dura many years after I'm gone, unless the Lord comes back. And then the promise of verse 8, and God will generously provide all you need. Then you'll always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. As the scriptures say, they share freely, and we just sang about this with Miss Adele. They share freely and give generously to the poor. Their good deeds will be remembered forever. When God called us to plant a church in the most needy part of the county, that means we're going to provide food. That means we're going to have events to help with school supplies. That means we're going to bless people at Christmas. That's why we do what we do. And people say, well, Old Testament, uh, tithing is just Old Testament. That's the law. If God required 10% of Mike under the law, how much more should I give under grace? Knowing that Jesus has died for me. Knowing that I'll never, ever, ever have to go to hell. Knowing that I don't have to keep going back and sacrificing rams and offerings. Okay, the final, number five, the last I. God wants us to invite and love the unchurch. I'll only talk about this a little bit because in two weeks we'll spend a whole week on asking God to renew our love for the lost. The church doesn't function just for us, right? We do encourage each other. We provoke each other to love and good works. But many churches are dying because they're so inward focused. They don't care if it's just us four and no more. They don't care if it's only people who look like us or act like us. They don't care if it's only people in our family. And those are the churches that 100 years from now are going to be closing their doors. We can't be social clubs or museums for the saints. We are a hospital for sinners when somebody is hurting and looking for a place to be loved. That's why we exist. Our mandate is to build it up one heart and one soul at a time. So yes, we thank God for this nucleus. We need to reach other Christians who are looking for a place to serve. But we do that to impact this community with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I've, ser- I've been blessed to serve some great churches as a youth pastor and as a pastor. I've watched God bless 
And I've watched churches bleed. You know why churches bleed? When they get so caught up in their own personal preferences. I want what I want. I don't care what the scripture says. It's all about me. If Miss Adele don't sing a song that I want her to sing, I'll just go find somebody else who will. If the preacher doesn't do what I want him to do, I'll just find somewhere else. And again, lost people look at it and they think, I don't want any part of that. And if I was lost and I see some of what I've lived through, I thank God I was already saved or I might be lost today looking at that stuff. Ephesians 2.10 says we're God's masterpiece. King James says workmanship. But I like the translation because it's, it's great from the original. We're God's masterpiece. You're not junk. My God don't make any junk. You're fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. We're his masterpiece. He created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. So we got to stop giving lost people excuses not to believe in God. The church ought to be the church so that people desire what we have the way I did when I was 15 years old. I don't think people would say they're not looking for organized religion if we just live like we're supposed to live. I don't just mean us, but I mean all the churches. If Christians live like the Word of God tells us to live, every church in northeast Georgia would be full. There wouldn't be room enough to contain them. That's why we're compelled to plant more churches. Our population is exploding. If every church um, in Hall County was filled next Sunday, there'd still be tens of thousands of lost people outside the doors of those churches. But we know they're not going to be filled next Sunday. Some of the greatest churches in our state, I say all the time, are right here. They'll reach people that we won't, but I think we can reach people that they won't because people are looking for something different. So Matthew 28, 19 says, Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. You'll reach people that I won't. Maybe I'll reach people that you won't. And by the way, witnessing is not optional. It's a command. You'll receive power, Acts 1.8. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. He doesn't say you'll be my worshipers. He doesn't say you'll be my tithers. He doesn't say you'll be my preachers or singers. All those things are good. God calls us through. But he says primarily when you get saved, the number one thing is you're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people outside these walls about me. And you're going to invite them. Thomas Hammond, who's the executive director of our Georgia Baptist Mission Board. I think you'll see a short video next week from Thomas Hammond, I hope. 83% of Americans say they would be somewhat likely to visit church if a Christian invited them. That's pretty telling. 83% of lost, unchurched people say, I'd be somewhat likely to go if a friend invited me. That's encouraging. Here's the bad news. Only 2%, I don't mean 20, I don't mean 20... 2% of professing believers ever share Jesus with anybody else. Well, what kind of faith is that? If our lives have been transformed, we want other people to know that. Jesus' heartbeat was evangelism and discipleship. And if we're called to be like Jesus, our church ought to be about evangelism and discipleship. If that's not in your heart, if you don't care about people going to hell, I wonder, do you know him? Do you have a relationship with him? Let's look at our conclusion. Number one. The difference between being a member and an attender is commitment. The difference between being a member of a church and an attender is commitment. My challenge to you based on scripture is be a member. Whether it's here or wherever God calls you to be, be a member. There's accountability in membership. Number two, are you investing in the local church and worldwide missions? This is why I'm a Southern Baptist. This is the number one... Number two reason. Number one reason I'm a Southern Baptist is because they believe the book, the whole book, and nothing but the book, the Word of God. The number two reason I'm a Southern Baptist is we pool our resources together in something we call the cooperative program. Our little church, we can't take a mission trip to Uganda, Brazil, Nicaragua, Africa. We can't do all that. We might be able to go to some of them. 
My goal is to get back to Brazil and take some of you to Brazil with me on a mission trip. But through the cooperative program, we can make that happen. Our little bit of money helps support that and supports missions around the world. So are you investing in the local church and worldwide missions? Number three, have you backslidden away from your commitment to Jesus and his church? I'm living proof that God allows U-turns. I told you I was backslidden. I was far from God. I went to that church and I said, hey, 1 John 1, 9 says if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. I confessed my sins to Christ. I did a 180. I started pursuing him again. And I had a church that loved me enough to hold me accountable. We want to be that for you at Transformation Church. Number four, are you truly a member of the family of God? If you're not saved, you don't care about any of this. If you don't care about any of this, you may not know the Lord. And so we invite you to join the family of God at Transformation Church. We have several who will be coming today to, to join us in membership. They've completed today part two of this class. And we ask people to, to sign on the dotted line, so to speak. This is our church membership covenant. This is what we agree to. I'm just going to read it to you. Having been led by the Holy Spirit of God to accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior... So the first part of that new members class, we dealt with assurance of salvation. And upon the profession of our faith, and having been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so do now we in the presence of God in this assembly solemnly and joyfully enter into this covenant with one another as one body in Christ at Transformation Church in Gainesville, Georgia. Here's our next commitment. We will strive. When you strive, it takes effort, right? We will strive, therefore, by the aid of the Holy Spirit to walk together in Christian love, to strive for the advancement of the gospel and evangelism, fellowship, discipleship, service, and worship. We'll strive to contribute cheerfully. I just read the text there. And regularly to the support of the ministry, the expenses of the church, the relief of the poor, the spread of the gospel through the nations. In case of difference of opinion in the church, we'll strive to avoid a contentious spirit. That's what happens in many churches. is why they split. And if we cannot unanimously agree, we'll cheerfully recognize the right of the majority to govern. That's the way Baptist churches are set up. We'll strive to maintain family and personal devotions, to teach our children the Holy Scriptures. We'll prayerfully seek the salvation of our friends and family. That's evangelism. To walk circumspectly in the world. That means I'm walking with an awareness that I've identified myself as a believer in Jesus and people are watching me. That's what it means to walk circumspectly. And to be kind to all. We'll strive to love God and love others. And we promise to watch over, to pray for, to exhort and stir up each other unto every good word and work. To guard each other's reputation. Not needlessly exposing the weaknesses of others. To participate in each other's joys and with tender sympathy. Bear one another's burdens and sorrows. To be slow to give or take offense. But always ready for reconciliation according to Matthew 18. And it ends by saying, should we leave the northeast Georgia area as soon as possible. We'll unite with some other church where we can carry out the spirit of this covenant and the principles of God's word. That's what we invite people to consider when you become a member of Transformation Church. And we had 10 in that new members class. Um, a few were not able to be here today. And we joyfully and cheerfully, we welcome them to be a part of the family of God at Transformation Church. If you've been praying about becoming a member of our church and you have questions about that, come and talk to me. Come and talk to me and I'll be glad if I don't know the answer, I'll find the answer for you. But most of all, if you're unsure of your relationship with Jesus, you don't know you're saved, today is the day of salvation. 1 John 5, 13 says you can know that you have eternal life. When we turn from our sins, remember I said we're all messed up people, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. 
But if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Pray with me. Father, I want to praise you with the author of Hebrews who called what we have so great a salvation. Lord, it's the greatest gift. I love my wife. She's been the greatest earthly gift in my life. But so great a salvation is a gift that will take me out of this world and into your presence one day. Thank you, Lord, that you will take out a stony heart and put in a soft and pliable heart and give us a love not just for you but others. Lord, show us from your word that we can't love you without loving and being committed to your local New Testament church. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for these you've sent to unite with us, to be a part of the family of God at Transformation Church. I pray for those who are unable to be here today who will be completing this commitment in the future. Thank you, Lord Jesus. For putting me in a church, not just any church, but of all the churches you could put me in, I'm so blessed. I'm so thankful that I get to be a part of this church right here in the East Hall Community Center. Thank you for the love that we share. May the love that we share that's grounded in you compel us to take the news of your gospel outside of these walls. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. Adele's going to lead us in a song of commitment to respond however God leads you to respond. You may say, I got all five of those eyes by God's grace. We're not bragging on ourselves, right? But it's only by God's grace if you can line up all five of those eyes. Um, if not, we'll talk to you about that. We'll pray with you. We'll help you get those things right. So you respond however the Lord will lead you to respond.